0: Chapter 46 of Phantom Fortune, a novel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jyoti Taravanath Phantom Fortune, a novel. By Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter 46 The Day of Reckoning. Lord Hartfield stayed with the frightened wife while she knelt beside that awful figure on the hearth, wringing her hands with piteous bewailings and lamentations over the unconscious clay. He had always been a good husband to her, she murmured. Hard and stern, perhaps, but a good man and she had obeyed him without a question whatever he did or said she had counted right we have not had a happy life though there are many who have envied us her ladyship's favour she said in the midst of her lamentations no one knows where the shoe pinches but those who have to wear it poor james early and late early and late studying her ladyship interests caring and thinking in order to keep trouble away from her always on the watch always on the listen that's what bore him out poor fellow my good soul your husband was an old man argued lot hartfield in a consolatory tone and the end must come to all of us somehow he might have lived to be a much older man if he had less worry said the wife bending her face to kiss the cold dead brow his days were full of care we should have been happier in the poorest cottage in grasmere than we ever were in this big grand house thus in broken fragments of speech mrs steadman lamented over her dead while the heavy pendulum of the eight-day clock in the hall sounded the slowly passing moments until the coming of the doctor broke upon the quiet of the house with the noise of opening doors and approaching footsteps. James Steadman was dead. Medicine could do nothing for that lifeless clay, lying on the hearth by which he had sat on so many winter nights, for so many years of faithful, unquestioning service. There was nothing to be done for that stiffening form, save the lost offices for the dead, and Lord Hartfield left Mr. Horton to arrange with the weeping woman as to the doing of these. He was anxious to go to Lady Mulverrier, to break to her, as gently as might be, the news of her servant's death. And what of that strange old man in the upper rooms? Who was to attend upon him, now that the caddy was laid low? While Lord Hartfield lingered on the threshold of the door that led from the old house to the new pondering this question, there came the sound of wheels on the carriage drive and then a loud ring at the hall door. It was Maulevrier, just arrived from Scotland, smelling of autumn rain and cool fresh air. Dreadfully bored on the moors, he said as they shook hands. No birds, nobody to talk to, couldn't stand it any longer. How are the sisters? Lesbia, better? Why, man alive, how queer you look! Nothing amiss, I hope. Yes, there is something very much amiss. Steadman is dead. Steadman, her ladyship's right hand. That's rather bad. But you will drop into his stewardship; she'll trust your long head. I know much better that she should look to her granddaughter's husband for advice in all business matters than to a servant. When did it happen? Half an hour ago, I was just going to Lady Mulwarrier's room when you rang the bell. Take off your inverness and come with me. The poor grandmother muttered,." Mulvary, I'm afraid it'll be a blow." He had much less cause for fear than Lord Hartfield, who knew of deep and secret reasons why Steadman's death should be a calamity of dire import for his mistress. Mulwarrier had been told nothing of that scene, with the strange old man, the hidden treasures, the Anglo-Indian phrases, which had filled Lord Hartfield's mind with the darkest doubts if that half-lunatic old man described by lady mulveria as a kinsman of steadman's were verily the person lord hartfield believed his presence under that roof unguarded by a trustworthy attendant was fraught with danger it would be for lady mulveria helpless a prisoner to her sofa at death's door to face that danger the very thought of it might kill her and yet it was imperative that the truth should be told her without delay the two young men went to her ladyship's sitting-room she was alone a volume of her favourite shop and horror opened before her under the light of the shaded reading lamp sorry comfort in the hour of trouble malwaria went over to her and kissed her and then dropped silently into a chair near at hand his face in shadow Hartfield seated himself near the sofa and nearer the lamp. Dear Lady Mulvaria, I have come to tell you some very bad news. Lesbia exclaimed her ladyship with a frightened look. Now there's nothing wrong with Lesbia. It's about your old servant's tidman. Dead, dead? faltered Lady Mulvaria, as she pale, as she looked at him in the lamplight he bent his head affirmatively yes he was seized with apoplexy fell from his chair to the hearth and never spoke or stirred again lady malvoria uttered no word of sorrow or surprise she lay looking straight before her into vacancy the pale attenuated features rigid as if they had been marble what was to be done what must be told whom could she trust those were the questions repeating themselves in her mind as she stared into space and no answer came to them no answer came except the opening of the door opposite her couch the handle turned slowly hesitatingly as if moved by feeble fingers and then the door was pushed slowly open and an old man came with shuffling footsteps towards the one lighted spot in the middle of the room. It was the old man Lord Hartfield had last seen gloating over his treasury of gold and jewels, the man whom Mulverrier had never seen, whose existence for forty years had been hidden from every creature in that house, except Lady Mulverrier and the steadmans, until Mary found her way into the old garden. He came close up to the little table in front of Lady Mulvorea's couch, and looked down at her, a strange uncanny being, withered and bent, with pale faded eyes, in which there was a glimmer of unholy light. "'Good evening to you, Lady Mulvorea,' he said in a mocking voice. "'I shouldn't have known you if uh, we hadn't met anywhere else, I think.' of the two of us you are more changed than i she looked up at him her features quivering her haughty head drawn back as a bird shrinks from the gaze of a snake recoiling but too fascinated to fly her eyes met his with a look of unutterable horror for some moments she was speechless and then looking at lord hartfield she said piteously why did you let him come here he ought to be taken care of shut up it is tedman's old uncle a lunatic i sheltered why is he allowed to come to my room i am lord Mulwarrier, said the old man drawing himself up and planting his crutch stick upon the floor i am lord mulwarya and this woman is my wife. Yes, I'm mad sometimes, but not always. I have my bad fits, but not often. But I never forget who and what I am. Algernon, Earl of Malwaria, Governor of Madras. Lady Malvarria, is this horrible thing true? cried her grandson vehemently. He's mad, Malvarria. "'Don't you see that he is mad?' she exclaimed, looking from Hartfield to her grandson, and then with a look of loathing and horror at her accuser. "'I tell you, young man, I am more said the accuser. "'There is no one else who has the right to be called by that name while I live. "'They have shut me up. "'She and her accomplice denied my name, hidden me from the world.' He's dead, and she lies there stricken for her sins. My grandfather died at the inn at Great Langdale, faltered Malwaria. Your grandfather was brought to this house, ill, out of his wits. All cloud and darkness here, said the old man, touching his forehead. How long has it been? Who can tell? A very time-long dark night's full of ghosts. Yes, I've seen him the raja that copper-faced scoundrel seen him as she told me he looked when she gave the signal to her slaves to strangle him there in the hall where the grave was dug ready for the traitor's carcass she too yes she has haunted me calling upon me to give up her treasure to restore her son yes cried the paralytic woman suddenly lifted out of herself as it were in a paroxysm of fury every feature convulsed every nerve strained to its utmost tension yes this is lord malwarrior you have heard the truth and from his own lips you his only son's only son you his granddaughter's husband you hear him above himself the instigator of a diabolical murder. you hear him confess how his palmer's husband was strangled at his false wife's bidding in his own palace buried under the moorish pavement in the hall of many arches. You hear how he inherited the Rajah's treasures from a mistress, who died strangely, swiftly, conveniently, as soon so he had wearied of her, and a new favourite had begun to exercise her influence. Such things are done in the East dynasties annihilated kingdoms overthrown poison or bowstring used at will to gratify a profligate's passion or pay for a spendthrift's extravagances such things were done when that man was governor of madras as were never done by an englishman in india before his time he went there fettered by no prejudices he was more Muslim than the muslims themselves a deeper darker traitor and it was to hide such crimes as these to interpose the great peacemaker death between him and the government which was resolved upon punishing him, to save the honour, the fortune of my son, and the children who were to come after him, the name of a noble race, the name that was ever stainless until he defiled it. It was for this great end I took steps to hide that feeble, useless life of his from the world he had offended. It was for this end that I caused a peasant to be buried in the vault of the mulvareas with all the pomp and ceremony that befits the funeral of one of England's oldest earls. I screened him from his enemies. I saved him from the ignominy of a public trial, from the execration of his countrymen. His only punishment was to eat his heart under this roof. In luxurious seclusion, his comforts studied, his whims gratified so far as they could be, by the most faithful of servants, a light penance for the dark infamies of his life in India, I think. His mind was all but gone when he came here, but he had his rational intervals, and in these the burden of his lonely life may have weighed heavily upon him. But it was not such a heavy burden as I have borne. I, is Gela, I, who have devoted my existence to the one task of guarding the family honour. He, whom she thus acknowledged as her husband, had sunk exhausted into a chair near her. He took out his gold snuff-box and refreshed himself with a leisurely pinch of snuff, looking about him curiously all the while with a senile grin. That flash of passion which for a few minutes had restored him to the full possession of his reason had burnt itself out and his mind had relapsed into the condition in which it had been when he talked to mary in the garden my pipe steadman he said looking toward the door bring me my pipe and then impatiently what has become of steadman he had been getting inattentive, very inattentive. He got up and moved slowly to the door. Leaning on his crutch-stick, his head sunk upon his breast, muttering to himself as he went, and thus he vanished from them like the spectre of some terrible ancestor, which had returned from the grave to announce the coming of calamity to a doomed race. His grandson looked after him with an expression of intense displeasure and so lady mulveria he exclaimed turning to his grandmother i have borne a title that never belonged to me and enjoyed the possession of another man's estate all this time thanks to your pretty little plot a very respectable position for your grandson to occupy upon his life lord hartfield lifted his hand with a warning gesture spare her he said she is in no condition to endure your reproaches spare her yes fate had not spared her the beautiful face beautiful even in age and decay changed suddenly as she looked at them the mouth became distorted the ice fixed and then the heavy head fell back upon the pillar the paralyzed form wholly paralyzed now lay like a thing of stone it never moved again consciousness was blotted out for ever in that moment the feeble pulses of heart and brain throbbed with gradually diminishing power for a night and a day and in the twilight of that dreadful day of nothingness the last glimmer of the light died in the lamp and lady mulveria and the burden of her sin were beyond the veil viscount haselden alias lord mulveria held a long consultation with lord hartfield on the night of his grandmother's death as to what steps ought to be taken in relation to the real earl of mulveria and it is only at the end of a serious and earnest discussion that both young men came to the decision that lady malwarrior's secret ought to be kept faithfully to the end assuredly no good purpose could be achieved by letting the world know of old malwarrior's existence a half-lunatic octogenarian could gain nothing by being restored to the rights and possessions which he had most justly forfeited all that justice demanded was that the closing years of his life should be made as comfortable as care and wealth would make them, and Hartfield and Hasseldon took immediate steps to this end. But the first act was to send the old earl's treasure chest under safe convoy to the India House with a letter explaining how this long-hidden wealth brought from India by Lord Mulvaria had been discovered, among other effects, in a lumber room at Lady Mulwarri's country house the money so delivered might possibly have formed part of his lordship's private fortune but in the absence of any knowledge as to its origin his grandson the present lord malvoria preferred to deliver it up to the authorities of the india house to be dealt with as they might think fit the old earl made no further attempt to assert himself he seemed content to remain in his own rooms as of old to potter about the garden where his solitude was as complete as that of a hermit's cell the only moan be made was for james tedman whose services he missed sorely lord hartfield replaced that devoted servant by a clever austrian valet a new importation from vienna who understood very little english a trained attendant upon mental invalids and who was quite capable of dealing with old malwaria lord hartfield went a step further and within a week of those two funerals of servant and mistress which cast a gloom over the peaceful valley of grasmere he brought on a famous mad doctor to diagnose his lordship's case there was but little risk in doing so he argued with his friend as it was their duty so to do if the whole man should assert himself to the doctor as lord malvorea the declaration would pass as a symptom of his lunacy but it happened that the physician arrived at fellside on one of lord mulberryer's bad days and the patient never emerged from the feeblest face of imbecility brain quite gone pronounced the doctor bodily health very poor take him to the south of france for the winter hires or any quiet place he can't last long to hires the old man was taken, with Mrs. Tedman as nurse, and the Austrian valet as body-servant and keeper, Mary, for whom in his brighter hours he showed a warm affection, went with him under her husband's wing. Lord Hartfield rented a chateau on the slope of an olive-clad hill, where he and his young wife, whose health was somewhat delicate at this time, spent a winter in peaceful seclusion while Lesbia and her brother travelled together in Italy, the old man's strength improved in that lovely climate. He lived to see the roses and orange blossoms of the early spring, and died in his armchair suddenly, without a pang, while Mary sat at his feet reading to him a quiet end of an evil and troubled life. And now he whom the world had known as Lord Mulvaria was verily the Earl, and could hear himself called by his title once more without a touch of shame. The secret of Lady Mulvary's sin had been so faithfully kept by the two young men that neither of her granddaughters knew the true story of that mysterious person whom Mary had first heard of as James Steadman's uncle. She and Lesbia both knew that there were painful circumstances of some kind connected with this man's existence his hidden life in the old house at fellside but they were both content to learn no more respect for the grandmother's memory sorrowful affection for the dead prevailed over natural curiosity early in february more sent decorators and upholsters into the old house in curzon street which was ready before the middle of may to receive his lordship and his young wife, the girlish daughter of a Florentine nobleman, a gazelle-eyed Italian, with a voice whose every tone was music, and with the gentlest, shyest, most engaging manners of any girl in Florence. Lady Lesbia, strangely subdued and changed by the griefs and humiliations of her last campaign had been her husband's counsellor and confidante throughout his wooing of his fair Italian bride. She was to spend the season under her brother's roof to help initiate young Lady Mulvoria in the mysterious rites of London society, and to warn her of those rocks and shoals which had wrecked her own fortunes. The month of May brought a son and heir to Lord Hartfield. And it was not till after his birth that Mary, Countess of Hartfield, was presented to her sovereign and began her career as a matron of rank and standing, very much overpowered by the weight of her honours, and looking forward with delight to the end of the season and a flight to Argyleshire with her husband and baby. End of chapter 36 End of Phantom Fortune A novel by Mary Elizabeth Bratton Recording by Jyoti Taravanath